just as, as a, a contemporary human being, I have a clear differentiation between what's going on in my phone and what's going on in my brain. There's definitely an interaction, but, but I know the difference. And it seems to me that once the implant is in there, I'm not going to be clear what the difference is. I'm just thinking, and I don't know which part of my brain is thinking. If it's the engineered part or the evolved part or some combination of the two. And if, if some third party gets in there and starts messing around with things, how am I going to be able to stop that or even be aware of that? Yeah. You know, and rather than just stealing my money, they're going to steal my thoughts. They're going to steal my emotions. I hear you, but, but uh, isn't the whole point of literature, art, uh, advertising, raising children, uh, isn't the whole point of all of those things to manipulate in some hopefully beneficial way the thoughts and the beliefs of whoever you're communicating with, right? No, nobody, nobody creates art or writes a book hoping that nothing is ever changed by it, right? The whole point is, you know, when you create something, that your, your whole point is that everybody's going to read this or see it, and they're going to go, oh, man, this changed the way I think about life from now on, right? That's what every great writer or artist hopes when you do, when you do advertising or you, uh, you, know, you produce clothing or anything else. You are trying to manipulate the, the mental processes in whoever's on the other end of this object. So welcome back, Mike. Thanks, um, Thanks so much. Yeah, really, really happy to, to get this opportunity again. There's just so much stuff that is kind of left hanging that I really wanted to cover. So awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe could do just kind of a quick review of what we covered last time, uh, like, you know, just a minute or two and then jump right in and really focus more on sort of tangible real world applications. Um, Cause I, I feel like last time we covered a lot of this more sort of theoretical background and more technical stuff. And this time I really want to focus in on sort of, you know, what, what might this mean to the average person in their day to day, right? Of medical applications and, you know, uh, understanding of, of who we are as humans and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, if I guess I'll just jump right in. You you correct me if I'm if I'm wrong anywhere. From from my perspective, what what really uh, stands out from from your work is basically the understanding that we are a gentle material at every level, right? So from the cell on up, there is volition, there is some form of cognition, even if it's not, you know, neuronal cognition, there is some form of, of agency and, and cognition. And what we think of as sort of a body and a brain as being two separate sort of entities, uh, a more fruitful way of seeing that is we're sort of nested tiers of cognition. So we have the cellular cognition, we have tissue cognition, we have uh, systemic cognition, we have uh, brain cognition, we have uh, sort of community or society or colony cognition, and and all of those are, are working together in in concert at, at all times. And and then the the thing that's really compelling to me is sort of the the way that all of those function and communicate with one another is with with bioelectricity, right? Or one one of the ways one of the ways that, that you're interested in exploring, right? And so you know we all know uh, uh, within our brain there's there's bioelectrical activity happening all the time. That's you know neurons are are firing and synapses going on and off, but that's also happening on a different time scale. But still, the the same fundamental principles are happening on the cellular level and all the way up into computing, right? So, so what seems to me like exciting and scary at the same time is that it breaks down the barrier 
between evolved life and engineered life, right? And there's there's this sense in which we're we're quickly coming to a time with you know AI and robotics and all of that, uh, where there's going to be a very intimate connection between these different systems, these different forms of intelligence, and and what we think of as very sort of clear cut boundaries between body and mind, or between living being and artificial being. It seems like we're on the verge of having that all just sort of explode into this this cloud of I don't know what. I want to say one one thing to sort of summarize everything that went on last time because I think there's 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 one fundamental concept that underlies everything, and I think as today we talk about what are the implica like the practical implications of all this for people, there, there's one fundamental concept that underlies all the immense changes that are coming, and that that concept that everybody needs to keep in mind is continuity, meaning that a lot of the distinctions that we grew up uh, hearing about. So the difference between evolved and designed objects, right? The difference between machines and organisms, the difference between brain and body, all of these categories are they're 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 false. They are uh, limit. They are they 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 are um, sort of heuristics that 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 came about to make life easier when we didn't really understand what we were doing. They're sort of older. They're based on older pre scientific notions and kind of um, classical science. None of these things are going to survive the next few decades. And and the reason that uh, all of these major changes are going to happen is that we are we are now realizing that there are really important. Uh, invariance under underneath these things that show us what's really going on. You know, it's like my, my favorite example is Isaac Newton, right? Prior to that, right, people thought that the thing that that uh, guides the motion of the moon is is one thing, and the thing that keeps uh, you know uh, uh, rocks uh, falling uh, downwards is something else. And he showed that no, actually, those seem different, but in fact, they're the same thing. And that same thing is happening across sciences. And the and the way to think about it very simply is just to keep in mind that developmental biology is slow. Meaning that we all used to be a uh, an oocyte, a, a, a pile of chemicals inside a membrane that just sat there doing nothing, and then very slowly we became whatever it is that we are. You know these cognitive, um, you know kind of advanced individuals, and so that process was slow. It was gradual. There was never a lightning bolt during which, aha, now true, you know, on day 79, you know, true cognition appears that that there's no such thing, right? But developmental biology is slow, and so what you can see is that. You can make these continual where you start out as just a piece of chemistry or physics and you end up being an organism and every with with, uh, you know, uh, metacognition and, and, and second order sort of re reasoning and all of that. And all of that happens piece by piece very slowly. So there's a continuum there, right, right from the basic physics and chemistry all the way up to psychology. That's a continuum. And the other kind of continuum is chimerism. Right. And I and I think I told the story of you can imagine that you have. On the one hand, you have a you have a you have somebody that's you know ninety eight percent human, and then he's got an implant that uh, lets that person control a wheelchair or a vacuum cleaner or whatever it's going to be. And then next door, you have the opposite situation. You have a Roomba that's ninety eight percent robot, but it's got some 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 human brain cells on board that just help it navigate the house and whatever. And so every compo every every combination in between is viable. You could have fifty fifty, you could have sixty forty, you could have anything you want. So. All of this tells us that there is no magic place to draw any kind of a line, right? Everything is a continuum, everything that that mix, that ability to mix things, whether they be the fact that when you engineer things, you can use evolutionary kinds of algorithms to evolve solutions to your problems, or you can do some design, you can do combinations, everything can be mixed and matched, right? 
And that tells you that that these these fundamental categories really are very hard to maintain. They they you know they're helpful in court and you know things like that, but scientifically they just don't they just don't really exist. And and that that fact that that everything is a smooth continuum and can be mixed and matched you know sort of indefinitely underlies all of these major changes that are coming. One of the things that that, that really struck me was you said that you know we're already augmented human beings. You know we we have eyeglasses, we have computers, we have cell phones, we have cars, you know, and, um, and like, you know, Elon Musk, uh, when he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the brain implants that he's working on, he said, you know, our brains are already outsourced in, into our phones, our memory is outsourced into our phones, all he's doing is, is just improving the interface, right? And so there's, there's a part of me that, that sees that logic, and I, I sort of almost agree with it. But it also seems to me that there's there is a categorical difference when we're talking about integrating uh, sort of man-made electronic systems into into our bodies. Because I mean, first of all, a phone you can always throw away, right? A computer you can you can just do away with. But once you're getting an implant that's like fundamentally integrated into your neuronal activity, it seems like that at the same time that it gives you a lot of power, it also gives you a lot of vulnerability. Um, yeah, your cell phone can be thrown away, but uh, your microbiome, which you have engineered through your diet and, and, and whatever else modern, you know, modern man is doing, that can't really be thrown away. That's very hard. And we know that the microbiome has a major impact on, on brain function, right, and, and, and cognition and things like that. Um, and, you know, there are glasses, you know, we could throw away glasses, but it's very obvious what happens when you do that. Um, you know, getting rid of things after you've learned to rely on them, you know, these things go back way, uh, you know, sort of way to the beginning of, uh, of, 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 of modern humans, you know, having, being able to have a stick as an, or a club as an extension of your body or as a, as a, as a, as a cane or a, you know, a, a crutch when you broke your, break your leg or something, these things are significantly extending your bodily capacities we were already on the road of that of, to, to that long before uh, technology, you know, and, and we're, yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, no, I, I definitely appreciate that. To me, the, the difference seems to be that, you know, no one can hack your club. No one can hack your glasses. And, uh, the, and I, 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 kn I know as a, you know, as a caveman or, or whatever, just as, as a, a contemporary human being, I have a clear differentiation between what's going on in my phone and what's going on in my brain. There's definitely an interaction, but, but I know the difference. And it seems to me that once the implant is in there, I'm not going to be clear what the difference is. I'm just thinking, and I don't know which part of my brain is thinking. If it's the engineered part or the evolved part or some combination of the two. And if, if some third party gets in there and starts messing around with things, how am I going to be able to stop that or even be aware of that yeah you know and rather than just stealing my money they're going to steal my thoughts they're going to steal my emotions i hear you but but uh, isn't the whole point of literature art uh, advertising raising children uh, isn't the whole point of all of those things to manipulate in some hopefully beneficial way the thoughts and the beliefs of whoever you're communicating with right no nobody nobody creates art or writes a book hoping that nothing is ever changed by it 
right? The whole point is, you know, when you create something that your, your whole point is that everybody's going to read this or see it and they're going to go, oh man, this changed the way I think about life from now on, right? That's what every great writer or artist hopes when you do, when you do advertising or you, uh, you know, you produce clothing or anything else, you are trying to manipulate the, the mental processes in whoever's on the other end of this object. And right. And so, and so when you consume, when you consume art, when you consume through, through the traditional uh, uh, senses, right, you may not have an implant in your head, but if you, if you are at all plugged into culture and society and you're looking at things that other people produce, you are giving them an entryway it, to modify your mind. That's the whole point. When we send our kids to school, if that's what we do, uh, what are you hoping happens after that? You're hoping uh, somebody makes a really a profound change in their in their cognitive structures, right? Um, I think you know I, I understand that that there are very specific uh, danger scenarios where where someone literally hacks one of these things and you know has some kind of um, effect on the person that that would would have been too hard to have before. That that can certainly happen, but I think we need to sort of be clear that this idea of manipulating other people's minds has been around since the first cavemen started telling each other stories to keep uh, you know keep people in their tribe around the fire that's 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 the per, that's sort of the point of all of art and literature and, and and scientific writing everything you know that's you know i i think we shouldn't pretend that that doesn't exist prior to getting some sort of implant in your head because otherwise it leads to this idea that 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 we're not constantly manipulated by all the inputs and i and i think that's a very dangerous idea you know yeah no i def definitely agree and i think we've we've seen with especially in the US, the way that that can go very wrong, you know, and in, in, in Europe as well, you know, just uh, political bifurcation and radicalization on, on both sides of the spectrum. And the, I mean, even with the limited interface of the phone and the computer screen, uh, people have gotten very good at manipulating perspectives and ideas and, and it has very tangible real world results in terms of elections and family relationships and you know all kinds of stuff and so i, I mean I, I undeniably you're right like people are engaged in manipulating one another all day every day that's what we've we've always done but it's just like it's, it's very easy for me to see when you just increase our ability to to do so even even more than it already is like it's just going to go further south basically because the tendency is on average, I, I, I would say not a positive one. Like there, there are positive influences of education, art, inspiration, you know, that's, that's definitely there, but there are also very talented uh, people dedicated to just, you know, making money or getting power or whatever it is and are not interested in, in the greater good whatsoever. And it's like, if they then have direct access to my brain, to my thoughts, to my feelings, to my cognitive patterns, like that, that to me is scary. Um, I, I don't, I don't disagree, but, uh, but if we, if I think that uh, if we're going to be, you know, sort of, if, if that's the thing we're scared of, I think that horse left the barn probably 10, 15 years ago with the advent of the ubiquitous internet. So, so we have, right, we have ports into our, into our minds right now. These are, these are them right here. And when, right, when we spend, you know, the, 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 the amount of time people spend on social media, on, uh, you know, on the internet, looking at things that other people consume, that is such a powerful entry point already. I think, yes, it could get worse. I don't disagree that, that certain kinds of implants could make that worse. 
But I think that is mm-hmm. such a powerful and profound influence that if we're serious about being worried about it, the, the time to be worried about it is, is now. We've got major issues yeah. with that long before there's any kind of implant, you know? Yeah, 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 no, exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it, to me, there's, there's also a, a sort of another potential component, which is as of now, at least, most of what's driving that sort of interference are human actors, right? I mean, they can be governments, they can be corporations, they can be individuals, whatever it is. But it seems like as AI develops, it's just going to be a matter of time before AI develops its own agenda. And, and you know, the sort of dystopian future where it's like, eventually, what's the purpose of humans? You know, if AI can sustain itself, it can mine its own materials, uh, you know, we will just be sort of biological detritus. Like, why, why maintain these inefficient, you know, farting aging bodies like there's no point you know and well, and it seems like a you know maybe 10 years down there maybe 100 years down there but it, it's why why would they need us yeah yeah um well i think there's there's two two issues there uh one one is uh, on the issue of 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 purpose and why are, why are we here um Think about it, and I've heard this. I've heard this a lot from people that are concerned that that AI is going to make art and other things that make humans basically superfluous, right? That they're not they're not going to just take the you know the 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 menial jobs. They're going to take the creative jobs, right? So so what's the what's going to be left? So so I have a I have a thought experiment about that. Um, suppose for, for, forget AI. Suppose one day we're we're sitting here and uh, some aliens make contact with us. And uh, right, bi- biological aliens that evolved on some other planet, and they come down and they say, "Hey, you know, uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be friends, where we welcome you to this uh, to the Galactic, uh, you know, Federation, whatever." And uh, and here, by the way, here's some here's some art, uh, just so you can see what's going on. Here's some art that we make, and here's some you know some science, and here's some poetry and stuff. And 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 we look at it, and we say, "This is a thousand times better than anything we've ever produced." Right, these guys are so far ahead of us. Their literature is unbelievable. The art is assu- assuming we can even like fathom what what they're doing. But we look at this, we say, "This is this is incredible." Uh, what does that does that so so does that do anything to right when that happens? Does that do anything to uh, to our um, sense of purpose when we realize that whatever we create, we're like children to them, right? It's like it's like when when a, when a kid first first realizes that, mm, yeah, I've been drawing these drawings, but actually like they're not all that great. Uh, right. And so does that do anything? Because because I'm going to make the following claim that if 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 that doesn't disturb you to the point of deciding that humans are, are then useless, then I don't think AI should either. The question the question becomes really, really, are we doing things for their own sake because we enjoy them or are we doing them because we think they're the best in town? And as soon as we find out that it's, we're actually not the best now, now we can we might as well just pack it up. Right. So so I think we ought to be we ought to answer. And I'm not I, I don't know what the right answer is, but but I think we ought to answer that question, because yeah. I don't think that there's a fundamental difference between some creature that came from some other planet. That's a result of natural evolution. I mean, big deal. What's so special about natural evolution or maybe their design? Maybe maybe they come down with this fantastic art. And for 100 years, we think they're biologicals. And then 100 years later, we find that they, they actually tell us, oh, you guys didn't know. No, no, we were we were created by some other race. You know, you know, we were, we were an engineering product. Does that change anything? To my mind, all, none of that changes anything. Uh, you know, if, if I liked my art before then, I still like it. And I don't care who else does a better job of it. Um, but you know, yeah. opinions will differ. Yeah, I think I think. Um, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thought experiment and it, it raises to to me at, at least two sort of interesting things, which is, first of all, like, do you 
see a difference between the idea that evolution, like we're not in charge of evolution or we haven't been, right? It's, it's, it's just been this sort of process that we've been immersed in and it's the way in which we've, we've grown and changed as a species and, and all species have. But it seems to me like this is the first time when we can have the choice. You know, I can say, do I want to evolve into this form of being or do I want to stay on the evolutionary time scale? And that to me does seem categorically different. Yeah. I mean, I would say two things. First, I, I still I still disagree about this this issue that it's the first time that you get new hardware. I think we've been trying to improve our hardware and get new hardware and in fact, improve our software. I mean, how old are techniques for uh, changing your your cognitive function, you know, with yoga and and and, you know, all kinds of uh, like meditation practices, I mean, thousands of years old, right? As soon as I think as soon as humans were able to, they started thinking about ways that they might need to change the status quo, both mentally, right, using using drugs, using rituals, using, you know, mental practices, meditation, whatever else, um, thousands Mm -hmm. of years old. And and of course, and of course, the hardware, same same thing, protocols for making yourself stronger, you being able to swim underwater for longer periods of time, uh, all kinds of, you know, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of, you know, martial arts, all these kinds of things have been around forever that really change, again, yoga, like that really change, you know, you've seen, I'm sure you've seen people doing things that normal people can't do. I think that that idea has been around forever, although the power is certainly cranking up, right? We're going to be able to crank this up in a way that that hasn't been able to, to happen before. I think I think the key thing to remember here is this a lot of people and this is this is certainly like a like a holdover from really pretty much uh, this kind of uh, religious view of, of, of a couple of centuries or more ago, where we have this idea that there is natural and natural is good natural was like was was natural is great. And now we have the opportunity to really screw things up or go and I get emails, I get emails every day that says, ah, what you're doing isn't natural, whatever, right? So, so, so people have this idea that, that, that natural is really awesome. And, uh, and, and, and it's on us not to screw it up. So, so I want to, I want to kind of break that down because evolution is not a process that optimizes happiness. It's not a process that optimizes intelligence or the ability to sort of lead a you know lead a fulfilling creative life. Evolution is a meandering, uh, more relatively uh, short-sighted uh, search process through the space of things that might survive long enough to be observed by biologists, and all it ever optimizes for is biomass. That's it. It, it evolution often makes things d- dumber than they were before and simpler than they were before evolution uh has all kind as an engineer has it makes amazing things but it has all kinds of uh solutions that are incredibly uh distressing and painful to the various uh, animals involved um there is nothing optimal about in, in the sense of in the in our sense right matching values never mind survival and, and biomass but but in terms of the things that we think of are good evolution doesn't track any of that stuff and so I really, you know, sort of, I really want to want to resist that urge to think that up until now we were sort of in this in this you know going in this in this great direction, and now we want to make sure not to screw it up. Yes, we could we could make things much worse. No no doubt we could make things much worse. But I don't believe that uh, we are at anywhere near what can be considered optimal given the values that that most of us have. And so we have to, right? So, so we have to. So the thing that's scary, and the thing that I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a, there's a Rubicon here that we've passed, which is now we are now responsible by virtue of 
having the capacity to make decisions that where, where we can actually think ahead about what's going to happen and having moral choices and so on. We are now responsible for guiding this, whereas before we were just sort of along for the ride. That's a major change. It's scary, right? Like anytime you grow up to be an adult and now you realize that, whoa, now I'm responsible for stuff, whereas before it was just whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's scary, but uh, I don't think that we're leaving, you know, th this idea that you're leaving the Garden of Eden where everything was, was fantastic and now you're going to screw things up, that's, a, that, that, that I, that's long gone, right? We are... You know, yeah. evolution got us this far. There are many, many problems with where we are now. And, and I think, I think the, the vision is optimistic. I think we can make it better, right? Do we really think with all the IQ and all the goodwill that we have, do we really not think we can do better than a blind uh, uh, hill climbing search? I think we can do better, right? I think we have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanna, I wanna jump into that before, just, just one last thing on the, the last point of the AI creating art and stuff. Like to me, that isn't actually what bothers me. Like, I think, you know, AI art is, is pretty incredible and it's rapidly improving and I, I don't have any problem with that. To me, it's like, it's, you know, 10 steps down the line when it's like, why the hell would AI want to make art? It doesn't need art. That's just for us, right? We're, we're still in this paradigm of, you know, can machines do what we want better than we can? But it's like, what about when machines are self-sufficient? then our values and our art and our emotions are completely useless. It's just, you know, it's just this atavistic, um, you know, offshoot of, of evolution that they're, they've moved far past. And then, and then it's like, why, why would they be interested in sustaining us any longer? I, I hear you. And, and it sounds to me when I, when I hear that and I, and I hear it a lot, um, what it sounds to me like is the same things you might think about when you have children in a rapidly changing environment. This sounds like, uh, my God, uh, you know, my, my kids are going to have capabilities and values that are so different from from, from what where are we in this world, right? With, with, you know, the, the, these dinosaurs, uh, our kids are gonna are gonna do all this different stuff. They're not gonna care about any of the things that we care about. That that I think every generation is far back. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Aristotle or somebody back then wrote that. Uh, ah, kids today they never listen and they're doing all this weird stuff. I mean, this is as old. This is as old, you know, and their and their and their pants look funny. Like this is as old as as the hills. This stuff, and I just it, yes, every right when you're creating something that's going to be autonomous, part of what might happen is you might get replaced because that autonomous agent might decide that the things you cared about are stupid and that they care about yeah. something else. And that just sounds to me like uh, what, what every generation goes through. I, I'll point. I'll, I'll say something else about about us and and what the point of us is. We also need to decide what it means what what is a human actually right because because if you you know if we start to ask um uh, what happens to humans down the line when you have all these all these changes well what's a human i mean if you tell me that you've had uh, some of your internal organs replaced with the you know cybernetic variants do i think you're less human no i don't care if you tell me that you've had your genome edited so now you're less prone to uh, you know glaucoma and various other things do I think you're less human? No. Now, the, so the question becomes, what is it that, or, or, or now you tell me that, well, you know, the sea level is rising and I've had myself modified so I can live under the sea. Uh, are you less human? So, so it's interesting, right? If, if, if what you mean by human is a certain genetic lineage and a certain set of physical characteristics, yeah, I think those humans are not going to be around in the future. But I also don't care about those humans because I personally don't care about genetic, your genetic code. I don't know what your genetic code is. I don't care what your genetic code is. I don't care about your capabilities, really. You know, what do what do we care about? 
when we say human. And so, so that's a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, in the societal sense, here's what I think a human is. A human is a minimal level of capacity to care about others, compassion, right? So, so in an almost uh, Buddhist kind of uh, kind of way, your ability to is right. So, we, so we talked about the scale of goals that any system can can keep track of, right? The 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 largest goal that your cognitive system can possibly pursue. So humans, and this goes back to, I think we talked about this stuff, um, uh, what uh, diminished capacity is, right? So you go to court and because, you know, you get dragged into court for doing something and somebody says, ah, he's got diminished capacity. You, can, you know, he didn't, he didn't really, you couldn't really care about all the things he was supposed to care about. Okay, so, so we have a minimum level of human performance where you're supposed to be able to care about certain things, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a very limited level of performance because for example, our, our, our range, our linear range for caring about others' welfare is very limited. If, if, if something happens to, you know, a thousand people and you're very sad and somebody says, no, no, actually it's, it's a hundred thousand people, you're not a hundred times more sad. You're a little more sad, but you're not a hundred times more sad because we can't, right? We're just not able to. So in the, so, so maybe, maybe uh, someday we will, we will have either, either we will be that or there will be some other version of it, alien or AI, whatever that literally can actually care about all the beings on the planet or some large number of them, the same way that we can care about the seven members of our family, like that, that in that linear range, right? And that person mm -hmm. will be, will be parahuman. They, they will be, they will have a cognition in terms of compassion and care more than humans. And so mm -hmm. to me, what humans, what, what, it, what, it's, what it means when you say somebody's human, it means you've reached that minimal level of what we currently nowadays expect of modern humans. And then, and then you could of course go all the way up. That, that, that is a view of human that's, that's um, centered where the invariant is, uh, is a moral parameter. It's not a physical, it's not a genetic parameter. And once we've specified that, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't care what the rest of the body really looks like. If, if what per, so, so here's what I want. What I want to persist in the universe are beings that have at least human level uh, uh, moral, consider, moral capacity. That's what I want. If they, if they, if, if by the time, you know, uh, you know, at some future time, they got gills and, and, and a propeller and, and, and they're flying through outer space. Great. I don't care to me, to me, as long as you've got that, you've got that minimal moral capacity, you are what I think of as human. That's what I care about. I want those to persist. If you tell me that those are going to be gone, then I'm sad. And then I think we're in a bad future, but, uh, but, but the physical body and the genetics of it, I think are completely irrelevant. I think, I think really what we mean when we say human is a, is a moral capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, I think that's, that's a really compelling perspective. And I definitely want to get into that more and specifically how it ties into Buddhism. But it seems to me like it's part of that is, I don't know the right word, human centric, right? It's, we define our morals based on our current biological structures and our limitations and our, our sense of pain and suffering, all of that. And like, once those structures change, our morals are going to change. And, and so what, what would be a moral activity to a human would almost inevitably look very, very different for like, what does it mean for an AI system or a robot that doesn't have a physical body to behave morally? You know, what is suffering to an AI system? You know, and so it, it seems like the, the part that seems tricky to me is like, once we start messing with the, like, we're, we're already complex enough and it's already difficult enough to figure out what is a moral act, right? But once we start messing with the fundamental being and, and how it experiences the world, then it's like, oh my God, like what, 
trying to, to deal with the question of what is a moral act just becomes so incredibly complex when you have, you know, yeah, yeah. But, what, but, what's moral to a rock, for example? You know, well, well, no, well, no, well, well, nothing. And, and you're not going to have uh, real AIs that don't have some sense of, 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 of purpose and suffering. Otherwise, they're not going to be functional AIs. That's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a primary ingredient in, in being able to be an actual, like, uh, functional intelligence. But, but, but even among normal humans on Earth, you can't, you can't get anybody to agree to what, what, moral, what a moral code is anyway. Never mind, you know, we're all right. We're all physically the same uh, across the world. And you, 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 you pull in 100 random people, you're going to get 101 random opinions about what's moral and what's not moral. So um, yeah, that, that, that those differences are, are, are already there. But I actually think we're better off in this direction, because I think what it's going to force us to do is to grow up in an important way. It's going to force us the ability to the, the ability to define morals for and by creatures that don't look like us is going to smash all of these ridiculous uh, kind of primitive things that we've tr been trying to hang morality on that, that, that in fact lead to all these differences among us. And it's going to force us as a species to try to come up with, with, more, with, with uh, fundamental invariance. Like what's actually important about, about morals? Is it, you know, is it stuff that got nailed down in the Bronze Age and now we're still sort of fighting about it? Or, or is there something really like fundamental about it? I think that's, and, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I, I, I know what all of them are, but it's going to force us to grow up and discard some of the really arbitrary stuff that we've been hanging morals on and, and really mm -hmm. force us to ask, okay, what, what, what is really morality? You know, what, what, it, when, when, we, when we are dealing with, with creatures that are just, you know, very different from us, we have to do that. I think it's essential. We've been holding on to this ancient, uh, you know, nonsense too long, I think. Yeah. Well, let me, let me give a stab at what I think your answer might be to that. And you can correct me when I, when I go off. So it, it's from your work with the, the light cone and whatnot. It seems like your answer to what is moral behavior is anything that would tend to reduce stress in a system. In a, a living system, right? And stress is the difference between whatever that system regards as ideal and the the actual situation, right? So, so we've evolved to try and optimize our abilities to reduce stress as much as possible for ourselves and for whatever is within our our light cone of concern, right? And so, in my understanding then would be that a moral act would require us to understand what does this system need, whether it's AI, robot, human, animal, whatever. Uh, what it, what is their ideal? What is the the you know the delta between the ideal and and the actual? And what can I do to try and bring those closer together to reduce stress for this system? Is that? That, that's that's that, yeah that's 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 very close uh now 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 that's extremely difficult of course because lots of systems have competing you know competing uh, uh goals right so so that's really hard mm -hmm. but but the fundamental so so i tried once i tried once to come up with what's the new version of the golden rule right can you and, mm -hmm. and by the way the and by the way the original golden rule is pretty good uh, at uh at um dealing with these kind of invariants, right? The, the the original golden rule is pretty substrate agnostic. It's it it really leans on on exactly the principles you said now, which which is interesting. So I, I tried to come up with a new one uh, that might be you know sort of uh, universally applicable, and it might go something like this. The rule is: be 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 kind to goal seeking systems in proportional in proportion to their ability to have goals. So that means. 
right? That means what you're tracking is not is not types of bodies or where something came from or how it got here. Or what does it look like? What you're tracking is their ability to have desires and goals. And you, as much as is possible, uh, are, uh, are, are, are ethically bound to uh, facilitate their, that journey toward their goals with uh, properly scaled, right? So, so you have you you don't you have not very much responsibility to a Roomba trying to get past an obstacle, but plenty, much more responsibility for a human trying to get somewhere in their life. And maybe maybe you know there are bigger responsibilities than that, and smaller ones than that, and so on. So, so what you ought to be tracking is uh, is is the ability you you ought to be tracking systems that are capable of pursuing goals. Those are the ones you should worry about. You don't need to worry about systems that have very low uh, goal uh, goal seeking capacity like rocks that flow down that that fall downhill it's not zero but but it's very low and you don't need to worry about you know you don't need to spend much time on that but 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 proportionally as you're surrounded by creatures with goals that's what we are here for is to help each other reach our goals that would be that would be my you know if I had to take a stab at it that that, that would be what I would say yeah and how do, how do you account for systems that have goals that are antithetical to to your own or or to others right if you have not just a Roomba, but a Roomba that's intent on, you know, killing all, all dogs in the universe, yeah. whatever it is, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. how do you account for that? Look, look, that, that issue of that issue uh, has been around since uh, caveman days, because uh, there's, there's the cheetah, the cheetah is going to eat the antelope. Yeah. Now, you would like to be kind to the antelope, but uh, eventually the cheetah is going to starve. If you're very good at keeping all the antelopes alive, the cheetahs are going to die. So that that kind of that kind of issue has been with us since day one. There there are systems that have incompatible goals, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and there needs to be. We have to develop some sort of cal- calculus for uh, for for helping us navigate the practical the practicalities of it, right? We we know we know that's the case. And so uh, you know, I think I think some of that the answer to some of that is science, right? So some of so a, a lot of these. Um, incompatible goals are because of various scarcities and actually we should talk about that i have have something interesting i I think that came up recently about this the scarcity issue but some of it is some of it is because of um uh, of 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 limitations of 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 uh, knowledge and resources right a lot of those conflicts could go away if science wasn't was sufficiently uh advanced to uh basically let everybody have most of what they wanted now that's not going to handle everything because there are fundamentally people that want things even that have nothing to do with scarcity they're going to screw up somebody else's somebody else's goals right there's always pathological uh you know pathological conflicts like that um yeah i don't know I'm, i'm not saying i have the answer to this but i'm saying this is this is a dynamic that's been with us forever and all all that all that these modern developments are going to do is force us to be a little more adult about uh figuring out um how to how to navigate it with more principled approaches let's say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it seems it seems to me that as a species throughout most of our evolution the way we've dealt with that at least among humans is through these sort of ritual initiation ceremonies where, you know, it can be with ayahuasca, it can be with, you know, hanging yourself from your chest muscles and spinning around for three days without eating and drinking. You know, there's a million ways to get there, but basically, you know, uh, to the extent that we understand the neurology behind all of these different practices, you're basically getting to a place where you're shutting down what, you know, we could call your ego, but basically just the, the analytical judging part of the brain that's very good at differentiating, this is you, this is me, uh, and, and just kind of shutting that down and connecting with a different part of the brain that it 
sort of doesn't really differentiate very clearly between one person and another, one being and another. And in order to become a fully functioning adult in most societies throughout most of human existence, we've had to go through that process of like, you are not your idea of yourself. You have to accept this bigger, sort of more expansive sense of identity with the tribe, the group, with Mother Nature, whatever it is, in order to be not just a functioning member of society, but a, a functioning participant in an ecosystem, right? And I, and I think we've gone, we've lost those traditions and those rituals to the degree that, that societies have adopted agriculture and started manipulating the environments and haven't been so interested in adapting and have been more interested in, in domineering and changing. And, and then from there, inevitably, we've developed systems of, of more competition among members. We've had, you know, more hierarchical societies with inequalities, uh, you know, uh, you know, coming into American capitalism, which is maybe the, the high point of that, right? But, but it, it seems like, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the work I do, and it, it dovetails very nicely with, with your, um, your understanding of like Bodhisattva and, and AI and, and where that might lead is, is trying to help people to reconnect to this more expansive sense of self that isn't just about what do I want, what do I need, and what are the products I can buy to make me happy because that doesn't work, right? And and there is I I think there is still something hardwired within us that makes us as individuals function optimally when we are connected to a greater whole of of nature, of community, of whatever that is. And going through these rituals of you know ice baths and and, and sauna and fasting and you know psychedelics and all that kind of stuff. There, there are different ways to get us there in opening up our sense of identity to, to something larger. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, it, it, was, it was really shocking or, I don't know, I guess like pleasantly surprising, I'll say, to see, because I, I'm coming from a very sort of like looking back at our evolutionary history and trying to recover lessons from that. And I see you coming from a totally different end, looking toward the future and, you know, where are we going and, and AI and all of that. But you come back to a very similar vision of AI as a sort of all-encompassing self that can look out for the welfare of as many beings as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be the, the, the thing that I'm really interested in is there's going to, there's like I said, up, up until now, I really feel that everything that has been happening and, and in, is, is really part of very much a continuum. However, there is one really sharp, um, kind of discontinuity that I that I think is going to happen at some point and then and then that's when that's when really something very completely unique and, and novel is going to happen and that discontinuity is uh some sort of unlimited energy technology right because up until now many or most of our dynamics have been driven by competition and scarcity right fundamentally what everybody's fighting about is some level of power resources something imagine imagine a future where if we crack you know, and I have no idea which which technologies are, but but you know, some some sort of some sort of f f nearly free energy type of thing where pretty much anybody can have anything they want without bothering anybody else, right? Ima just imagine imagine that future where you don't need to compete with it, you don't need to work, you don't need to compete with anybody for anything. You want uh, you know an infinite amount of um, 
uh, gold or, or, you know, or toys or whatever the heck you want. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, you know, find, find yourself an, a moon or an asteroid, uh, and, and you can have unlimited energy, have whatever you want. There's no point in fighting with anybody. Now you're still going to have pathological individuals who, uh, who are going to need to fight for whatever, but that, that's going to be a tiny amount of, uh, that's going to be a tiny number of, of, of cases. The vast majority of the pressures that, 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 uh, lead us to doing various things are going to be completely gone. There's going to be no point in in most of the conflicts that drive us on a daily basis, trying to do better than somebody else, trying to compete for some sort of resource. I I think if we live as a species, if we live long enough, I think we're not that far off probably from discovering that kind of technology. And that and that is going to completely shift all of the dynamics because there literally will be nothing to compete about anymore other than you know, what new ideas, you know, what's, what's going to be the most, uh, right. If you can have anything, any, any tangible thing that you want, right. Sort of like, um, I don't know, what's the most, uh, like, like, like the Star Trek, uh, you know, matter replicator kind of a thing. At some point you're going to get to the point where energy is so cheap and technology is such that, yeah, whatever you want, uh, you can have it. Nobody cares. It's free. It's, uh, you can have it. And so at that point, when all of your practical desires are met trivially, what else is going to be left? Well, the things that are really hard are, and maybe with AI, maybe not even that hard, but interesting new ideas are things to think about. Um, you know, I don't know what else. Well, well, what are we going to do? And right. And so some people are really scared about that and think, well, that's that's a terrible. You know, then there's really nothing to do. That's terrible. And I don't want to, uh, as a as a as a as a long-lived species, hopefully, I don't want to build our future on artificial scarcity. I don't want to feel like we are doing important things because we are artificially held back by resource constraints. Forget that. Let's let go. Let's let go all the resource constraints. And now, as adults, we can really think about what is it that we should be doing when we don't need to be fighting each other for 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 agricultural land and and things like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think on on a, a much more sort of a less extreme scale, but when you see people tending in that direction, you know, people get lots of money and they can buy pretty much whatever they want. It doesn't make them happier. You know, on average. And you look at someone who wins the lottery and someone who you know becomes paraplegic. For the first year or so, there's a pretty big spread in terms of their how they rate their own happiness. But after about a year and a half, maybe two years, they're pretty much back to where they were. You know, there there are other factors at play that are very different from what our society typically tells us are worth fighting for and struggling for. And most of us do spend our lives fighting against scarcity in some way because we we bought into the story that yeah, what what I need is a big house or you know a sexy wife or you know a sexy husband or whatever it is. And but the facts don't don't support that analysis whatsoever. And then, you know, and to the degree that studies have been done on, you know, what are the relevant factors for, for human well-being? It's about relationships. It's about, it's about connection, you know, and, and it can be, you know, having long-term trusting relationships with, you know, one or a handful of other people and some combination of having, you know, day-to-day -day interactions with, with other people to the, to the degree that you find necessary. And that is, you know, that's essentially what, modern humans really need, even though most of us, you know, don't spend our time or energy dedicated to, to cultivating that. That's definitely what traditional societies have spent the vast majority of their time and energy doing. You know, it's about creating this relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're, you're, you're right. And but but uh, but a lot of that uh, in terms of um, the examples that you gave, like what you know, what happens after you win the lottery and things like that, we are still very much the product and, and our society and so the environment and everything else that we see is very much a product of millennia of, of, of fighting for resources in various ways, 
right? So our psychology is all about that when we grow up and we see what's going on. Like that, what I'm what I'm wondering is what happens many years from now when enough generations have ticked over that for the first time ever on the planet we have a species that is not bound by by uh, resource constraints just not not bound by them like that's never happened yeah. we've never had that right like you can decide I, I maybe we have though maybe we have like I, I i understand your logic um but but i think if you go back to like traditional societies that were living in sustainable balance with their ecosystems the way they experienced that, at least from you know from the anthropological studies that have been done from interviews with people whatever was not with a scarcity mindset so so there's the, uh, this great book called uh, affluence without abundance where it, it, it's very focused on this it's with the sand people who are arguably are sort of you know humanity's biological center right we've all evolved from the sand people and until about 30 years ago they lived in basically unbroken continuity with the way they have lived for 200,000 years. Then in Botswana, they, they found diamonds, they started fencing everything off, shooting people on site when they walked onto their ancestral land, blah, blah, blah. So now, you know, alcoholism, depression, to disaster. But from the, the research that's been done on people living in this sort of, you know, traditional way in, in some sort of balance, it does seem that, that scarcity was not an issue because they weren't interested doing anything more than just maintaining homeostasis right? and so it seems like there's there's been these sort of two competing human influences yeah. which you know you could call like east and west or you know the agriculturalists versus the hunter-gatherers but like we as you know americans part of the western world whatever we are definitely part of a lineage that is obsessed with scarcity and fighting against it constantly but but it just seems to me that as a model for what what that ideal future might look like it might end up coming back and looking very much like what traditional hunter-gatherer societies look like maybe maybe the problem the the reason i think it's not quite the same and i, I totally understand your example but but the reason i think it's not the same is what i'm talking about let's 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 try it this way imagine that uh imagine that we had a planet and i, I don't know how exactly you would do this but imagine that we had a planet and the whole planet was covered with that exact society that you're talking about and for hundred thousand years they lived in exactly that way N nothing changed right so so no 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 but nobody found any diamonds nobody invaded from anywhere uh they had this stable you know presumably it's i guess it's stable that way of living and let's just say they lived that way right so from the from the from from day zero to a hundred thousand years everything went exactly like this everybody was in in harmony with with the environment uh, there wasn't uh, there weren't any psychoses and whatever but neither was there any persistent rise in any of the things we find interesting no new art no new discoveries no new science they knew no more mathematics at, at 100,000 years than they did on day zero they were just I, I i used to think about this exact same question with respect to um you know the uh the 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 uh, kind of like uh the the the, the old testament and, the, and all these rules and like okay if we really held on to all this for thousands of years and just did exactly that and everybody was fine but at the end of it, there was nothing. There was nothing different, right? It stayed exactly flat in terms of any anything we might call progress. So, ju so I'm just curious. I don't know. Every, people will have different intuitions about this. To me, I see that, and I don't see. I, I don't look at that and say, "Wow, this is this is an amazing. Like this is how it ought to be." Here's a society that is in perfect balance. No, nobody's you know uh, having is is stressed out with all these uh, crazy ideas of scarcity. Fantastic. That's not what I see. 
I, I look at that and I see there's this incredible untapped potential of new discoveries in mathematics and art and literature and whatever it's going to in science, whatever it's going to be. And, and there is, there has been no progress on any of it. And to me, I'm, I'm sad. I would be saddened by it. I don't know. I don't know if you would be or not. Some people, different people think differently. I would be sad about it. And so, mm. and so, so what I think, uh, you know, to, to me, it would seem like a, like almost a waste of a hundred thousand years. Like you're, you're exactly where you were on day zero, even though everybody's satisfied and, and kind of happy and, you know, and singing and whatever you're doing, but I, I wouldn't be happy about it. And yeah. so, so what I well, visualize- let's, let's use the, the care model to, to analyze that. Like I, because I think, you know, it comes down to sort of a, a, a zero principle question. Like is your principle, you know, well-being and you know community cohesion and healthy relationships or is it progress and you know reaching your, your full potential right and then i think uh, you know we can talk about that on a societal level on a personal level you know there's a, a lot of different ways and i think that's a, a very persistent yeah. between cultures throughout history yeah. between individuals like that, that that's a very stark sort of difference yeah. and you, you almost kind of have to choose one but what's what's interesting i think is with your your model of you know the light cone and, and uh saying okay well one possible way to sort through this issue is which model provides the the greatest good for the greatest number of systems, right? And I think yeah, that's, it's that's kind of an open of question. It, it is, no, it's very much an open question, but but I, I see something else that, uh, that I, and again, this is very personal, I don't know that anybody else would necessarily agree. I see expansion of the light cone as a good in and of itself. So I think, I think that it is good to be able to care about bigger and bigger things. So if in this society, you have an individual born that says, looks up at the moon and says, you know, I, I think we ought to be able to walk on this thing. And he looks around and he says to everybody else, what, sh shouldn't we be like working to get up there? And, and, and everybody else says, hey, man, like, uh, relax, because what you're talking about is going to lead to, comp you know, it's going to lead to competition, right? We're going to have to, you know, somebody isn't going to be smart enough to participate. They're going to feel sad about it. Uh, we're going to need to resources. So somebody else isn't going to have whatever. And then who knows, the things you discover might be used as weapon. Forget it, right? We're not, we're not, we're not doing this. We're just going to chill out the exact same way we have been for thousands of years. I, I would be extremely saddened by that. I, I want, I want the, the, the arrow of, of progress not in terms of you know who can get the most stuff i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the expansion of that light cone i want us on at a hundred thousand years afterwards to be able to care about bigger things to have to to be able to fulfill uh bigger dreams about what it is that we can find out right and and mm -hmm. uh I, I i think that as as bad as this kind of focus on uh material possessions and all that as stifling as that is to uh to to the to the human spirit i think equally stifling is this idea that we're in balance everything's cool don't rock the boat because because it goes and it can go in bad directions so just kind of stick to your stick to your hunting and gathering like we have been and let's not rock the boat with any of these ridiculous dreams of mathematics or anything else like that that to me is is also incredibly stifling so i would like to um i would like to envision a future where everything is in balance and, and non sort of psychologically damaging, not because everybody is frozen at a nice peaceful hunter gatherer sort of lifestyle, but for the opposite reason, because you can have dreams that are as big as you want and you've got all the energy. And, and if you can convince other people to sort of go with you on that journey, great, have all the, have all the energy you want, knock yourself out. Let's see what you can do. And uh, th that, right, that to me is, is, is kind of a progress, a future that I would be excited about. I would not be excited mm -hmm. about a well, a, you know, a mentally well-balanced 
uh, future where pretty much nothing happens, right? That's that I, I'm I'm not I'm not excited by that. Yeah, I mean, I I I see where it comes from. I see where it comes from. Um, I I would. I'm actually I'm, I'm planning a trip to go visit the Sun people um, in in August, so I I can get back to you more about the the idea that nothing happens <laughs> later on. Um, I I I do I think I could get behind both potentially. It's just to me that it seems like so so my understanding of the light cone is that it's it's a way to sort of visually represent uh, basically capacity. It's it's both care and intelligence, right? So it's it's an organism's ability to see into the future, into the past, and outside of itself in that sort of expanding concentric circles. And the bigger your light cone is, the bigger area you have of understanding and potential care for the, for other beings, right? Yeah, in, intelligence intelligence is almost sec, it's almost a derived quantity. What what the, what the cone is supposed to um, uh, quantify is your ability to hold is your ability to pursue goals of various sizes. So, so right now, now that requires intelligence, the bigger your goals are, and, and the more competent you are at those goals, the more intelligence you have to have to pursue those goals. So, so if your goal is, you know, if your goal is, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get some nice dinner and, uh, uh, and then hang out with my friends that, and that's, that's my goal. So that's, you know, a, that has a certain temporal, um, spatiotemporal range to it, or your goal might be, you know, I would like us all to be able to go visit the moon. That's my goal. And I know it's not going to happen while I'm alive, but I'm going to contribute to that goal. Now, that's a massive goal in terms of time, in terms of space, in terms of, right? That's a, a you know, and, and being able to understand all the steps that are going to get you there to the, not, 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 a, not a poem about going to the moon. That's not a goal. The, the goal of going to the moon is the actual, like, practical, I, I think that I'm going to work towards this. I don't just, you know, I didn't just sort of have this idea and that's the end of that. It's I, I'm actually I'm actively working towards something that's going to happen hundreds of years from now, right? When 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 we're when I'm gone. So that's that's what I think about as the expansion of the of the cognitive light cone is the ability to formulate goals about enormous things that are bigger than your own current situation. Because even a even a bacterium can have little tiny goals about well i'd like the local sugar concentration to rise and i remember that 20 minutes ago it was this and and i have a feeling that soon it's going to be that like even a bacterium can do that right the thing that's special about us is that we can have these massive goals that are so much bigger than even our own lifespan right maybe maybe the only maybe the only i mean who knows but maybe the only species that can that can have goals bigger than our own uh, li likely lifespan you know that, that that's my, my guess I don't know, but my guess is that's probably the, the, the source of a lot of um, uh, 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 psychological pressure that, you know, if, if you're a goldfish and all of your goals fit into about 20 minutes, you can most certainly count on surviving for the next 20 minutes. All your goals are achievable, right? But in, when you're a human, you can now conceive of goals that are for sure not achievable in your lifetime. You can tell. And so that's, I mean, that's, that, you know, that's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a, an incredible psychological pressure to have, to have possible goals that, that are not going to be achievable in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's, that's possibly another sort of Rubicon that we crossed at, at some point, you know, and, and I think, I, I definitely agree. I think that is, you know, if you look at the, the, the sort of reason behind the evolution of all these systems and you think of, you know, the, the idea of like the Markov blanket, right? We have some essential unit that uh, contains all of our information. Maybe, you know, in the case of humans, we can take the stem cell, right? Or for an ant colony, it might be the, the queen ant, whatever it is. And all these other systems that have evolved over that are basically 
protection for that system, right? Making making sure that the most essential unit can maintain its homeostasis and and you know survive for the longest amount of time possible. And so so if you look at that, then um, you you can see uh, there must have been a turning point when all of a sudden we've been evolving and evolving and evolving to, to get better and better technology at keeping that that one system stable. And then it's like when our cognition reaches a point where it can include these other systems and other beings, then it's like all of a sudden our fundamental reason for evolution has, has shifted. We've lost contact with it. Now it's not just about us, it's about future beings, past beings, uh, other beings. And like that's, I think that is something as a species that we're still definitely struggling with. You know, but but just to, to come back to this idea of, you know, is it somehow like morally justifiable to, to continue on this push toward progress, let's say. You know, it seems to me that that question can only be answered if in that expansion of the light cone, in the expansion of our ability to set goals, if that's accompanied by, by care, right? If it's if it's a, an inclusive process that everything within that light cone we care about we're, we're taken care of, or if it's just, I'm going to go to the moon, you know, fuck the rest of the world, I'm going to do what I want. And it, and it seems to me on balance, like that's, you know, obviously that's incredibly complex calculation and people will come up with their respective answers. But if, if you want to make the argument that, you know, no, we, we should be, you know, exploring all, all of our potential as much as possible, it seems like as, as you've done in, in your paper with, with the, you know, Bodhisattva AI, it's only justifiable if it has the concept of, of care included within it. You know, and I, I guess I would, I just really like to hear more about that, that concept of how did you come to this idea of using Buddhism and the Bodhisattva particularly as like a model for, for developing AI? Yeah, so, so uh, that, that whole thing is, is uh, clearly not just me. So that's a um, kind of an emergent uh, set of ideas that came around the conversations between myself and the other co-authors on this paper, some of whom are Buddhist scholars, which I'm certainly not. Uh, from from my end, which is the, the only thing I can really comment on, is uh, how I got there was by really thinking about what do all uh, when what what do what do all uh, agents have in common? Where, where whatever their origin or, or or material implementation, what what do they have in common? What do we mean when we say uh, here's a creature and you have some moral obligations to it, or maybe even the creature has some obligations of its own? Uh, what does that actually mean, right? And 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 what kind of beings uh, are appropriate to consider in that in that category, and and what happens in the future, and and what frameworks do we already have to start thinking about this? And it seemed that it seems like uh, people who um, who think about these um, uh, you know uh, uh, these these Buddhist kinds of perspectives have been have been thinking about this all along, right? This idea that you need to cultivate the whole the whole point, as far as I understand, of of this of this Bodhisattva vow is that you are committing to I, th I think there's two very interesting things about it one is that you are committing to essentially an infinite uh unachievable process right which is interesting it's got that kind of zen aspect to it that that you you are you are committing to to do something that you know isn't actually doable all the way right you're, you're sort of getting started on this um uh, uh incredible path to to expand your light cone infinitely so like any good infinity you're not you're not actually going to get there um but that's okay you're going to you're committing to effort to to do to increase and the other thing that i think is really important about it is the emphasis of all of those kinds of uh traditions on repeated practice because the and this goes back to i don't i don't actually remember if we covered all this in our last one um my my uh, my, my kind of thoughts about what what free will really is and so on 
yeah, but yeah. but the right but but the, but this this idea that the only thing that you have any control over the only thing that you can be praised or blamed for are things that are really stretched out in time they are repeated events uh that when you commit to to making certain changes in yourself it isn't any one thing that you do on any one day that it can really make any difference it's uh it's 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 consistent pressure applied in some in some direction right in this case to 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 expand your light cone so i think i think that's that's that that framework is really really uh compatible with the kinds of things we are seeing in in technology it's not um you know when 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 they say all sentient beings they're really not making any distinctions about specific uh types of um, types of implementations or origin stories or anything else you know they're they're really telling you find an invariant and continue to improve yourself to enable you to relate positively to to creatures all along that uh, that 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 spectrum i think i can't think of any i i can't think of another uh you know sort of framework that that does better than that in capturing what's actually coming in terms of technology so i know you've, you've got to go soon uh how much how much time do you have well, I guess um, so. So I had it on my calendar. I kind of like uh, I had it on my calendar um, to eleven thirty. Um, do you what what what? And, and I have an absolute hard stop at twelve. But I was kind of hoping to uh, do some okay. things before then. But but we can. I mean, what what else do you want to cover? Because we can we can do another we can we can do another hour like at some other point. Um, I, I would love to. Let's do part three. I, I, what I really want to get into is, is therapeutic implications. Okay. So Why don't we do that? Why looking, don't we call it here and let's just let's just do uh, we'll 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 make another hour and we'll do therapeutics. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds great. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you. As awesome. as always, a pleasure. Really great. Likewise. Likewise. I, I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks All right. a lot. I'll Take see care. you soon. Bye.